Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19. Um, last week, last week we went to the potter's house with Jeremiah, and we learned about more than probably you ever wanted to know about pottery. But we learned about clays and firing temperatures and um, different firing techniques to get some different colors and that kind of thing. But this week, um, we're going to still be a little bit at the potter's house, but uh, just in an in a, in a object lesson kind of way. So let's stand as we read Jeremiah 19, 1 through 6. 1 through 6. I think you'll get the, the gist of the story with just these few verses. Uh, Jeremiah 19 chapter, 19, chapter verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Go and buy a potter's earthenware jar, and take some of the elders of the people, and some of the senior priests. And then go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words I tell you. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon this place, at which the ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. Verse 4. Because they have forsaken me, and have made this an alien place, and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods, that neither they, nor their forefathers, nor the kings of Judah have ever known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent, and have built the high places of Baal, to burn their sons in the fire and burn offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place will no longer be called Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hanan, but rather the Valley of Slaughter. You may be seated. After the... Uh, after being at the potter's house, God says, I want you to go get one of those earthen jars. And I want you to, um, we're going to use that. So uh, later down here, we'll figure out what that was for. But I'm thinking it's a big jar. I'm thinking it, it's going to make a statement. It's not just a little bitty glass. It's think big. But he's going to use this to make a big statement and to... Um, very dramatic message. Let's read 7 through 15 just quickly uh, to get the rest of the chapter under our belts. I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. And I will give over their carcasses as food for birds of the sky and beasts of the earth, and I will make this city a desolation and an object of hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hissed because of all its disasters. Verse 9. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh in the siege and in the distress which their enemies and those who seek their life will distress them. Verse 10. And then you will break the jar in the sight of the men who accompany you and say to them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Just as... Just so will I break this people and this city, even as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot again be repaired. They will bury in Topheth, because there is no other place for burial. This is how I will treat this place and its inhabitants, declares the Lord. 
so as to make this city like Topheth. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah will be defiled like the place of Topheth because of all the houses on whose rooftops they burned sacrifices to all the heavenly hosts and poured out drink offerings to their gods. Verse 14, Then Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring this city and all its towns and the entire calamity that I have declared against it, because they have stiffened their necks to my word, and not to heed my words. Um, so this is a pretty dramatic scene. Pretty dramatic scene. God's told him to go get this earthenware vessel. And like I mentioned, I, I'm assuming this is a big, a big thing here. So he takes this, this big earthenware vessel, and God says, "You go here and you tell them this." And and we've read this whole chapter, and it's not very pretty or uplifting words, is it? Um, uh, we're going to rename this place. It's going to be so bad they're going to call it the Valley of the Slaughter. That's pretty pretty harsh words. Um, it's not, uh, you know, they name places after things like uh, Palm Beach, you know, or something like that. Well, this is not a vacation spot, is it? it it's going to be a bad place. And whenever people pass by here, it says they're going to hiss at it. They're going to probably take the long way around just so they don't have to go by this place because it's, God's going to turn them upside down. Why is he going to do that? We've talked about that in the past few weeks. Um, after some bad kings and bad leadership, they've turned their hearts and lives over to these uh, Baal, other gods, in, even in the temple. Um, just turned it into a house of uh, whoremongering and, and whatever you wanted. It was just as bad as you could ever possibly think. So God says, I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to clean this up. And we talked about before we ever started, Jeremiah, about King Josiah, how he was eight years old and came to the throne. And about eight years in, he was about 16 years old. He started to turn around and they came back to the Lord. They came back to the Lord. But that's changing. This is a turning point right here in this whole book. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, can, but can you see this event taking place? It's, it's very descriptive. Very descriptive. Um, not only is Jeremiah a, uh, a book of history, but it's also uh, a uh, literary work. Uh, think poetry. Think um, uh, like the Psalms. Very, they go through the poets and it's very visual. They use some big words, uh, very descriptive words. And uh, there's no, um, even though it's symbolic a lot of places, it, it's, it's not where you have to guess what's going on. It's very, very dramatic, very dramatic stuff. But he takes this big pot and he lifts it over his head and I can just see him just it splashing on the ground or, or uh, you know, hard ground. I don't know if they had pavement or whatever. I'm sure they had some stones or some brick walkways or whatever just shattering everywhere. Very dramatic. Very dramatic thing. And this gets back to um, this gets back to the leadership. Look at verse 14. After all that was happened, verse 1 through 13 happened over there at the gate. But verse 14 and 15, he gets done with that, and then he comes back to the temple. He comes back to the temple, and he said, He stood at the court of the Lord's house and said to the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to bring on this city and all the towns an entire calamity. And we talked about that. So he gets done with his message over there and comes back right in the center of where God is 
uh, where God wants to be. And that's in this temple worship. It's all about worship, remember? We talked about that. But he comes back to, and then we get to verse 20, chapter 20, excuse me. So, um, what has happened here is, let's just read, let me, I think if I read it, it'll be a little clearer. Verse 20, verse 1. When Peshur the priest, the son of Emer, who was a chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, Pashur, or Pashur had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him into stocks that were at the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. This priest didn't like his message. I'm not sure why. Can you imagine why anybody wouldn't like this message? God's going to send you all to hell, basically, because you're not following him. You know, I could see where he would have a problem with that, especially if he were not following Christ or God in this particular sense of history. But what has happened here is King Josiah has died. King Josiah has died. There's been a change of leadership. When King Josiah, remember when he was on the throne, they were going to God. Everything was all about God. They were turning back to God. They cleansed the temple. They, they repaired it. They found the scroll. They read the scroll. He instituted Passover again that had been neglected for years and years. They came back to God. But what happened when he died, his evil son took over, and they go right back to where they were. So here in the these first half of the Jeremiah, he is serving under a godly king. When the political climate is good, when their political views get together, you're less threatened, right? But then the political person comes in and they're against the political views. What happens? You get attacked. Is that not how it happens today? People are still the same, whether it be today or 2,500 years ago. People are still the same. And that's what's happened here. So this priest, and remember, what was Jeremiah's job? What was his job before he became a prophet? He was a priest. So one of their own. They were in the same business, I guess if you call it. But um, this priest didn't like what he said, and he had Jeremiah beaten. Not only did he have him beaten, and they were I've read some commentaries, and, and this beaten it more, is more than just taking him out back and rough him up. It was more of the uh, 40 lashes kind of stuff. I mean, really beaten. Really beaten. Um, but then they took him and put him in the stocks at the upper gate, which was next to the temple. So anybody that came by the temple saw Jeremiah in these stocks. And I don't know if it was the kind you put your head through. You know, I don't know if it's those kind or just some chains. They bound him up. But he was there as an example of what happens when you go against authority. Right? So, what do you think the next person is going to do who gets this wild idea? I'm going to preach God. They're going to back off. And that's what they were hoping. That's what they were hoping. But look in verse 3. On the next day, Jeremiah... On the next day, when Pashur released Jeremiah out of the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, Pashur is not the name the Lord has called you, but rather, Megor Misabib. That means terror on every side. Remember, names are a big deal in the Bible. Names are a big deal. Your name is what you are in the Bible. So instead of being Pashur, his name is turned into terror. There's a terror. 
Um, For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am going to make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. And while your eyes look on, they will fall by the sword of their enemies. And so I will give over all of Judah to the hand of the king of Babylon. And he will carry them away as exiles to Babylon and will slay them with the sword. And I will give over all the wealth of this city and all the produce and all its costly things. Even all the treasures of the kings of Judah I will give over to the hand of their enemies. And they will plunder them and they will take them away and bring them to Babylon. Verse 6. And this is personal. Look, he calls his name. And you, Pashur, and all who live in your house will go into captivity and you will enter Babylon. And there you will die and there you will be buried you and all your friends to whom you have falsely prophesied. Um, that doesn't sound like somebody who's learned any lessons being in stocks and chains, does it? Um, when, when God has given you a message, whatever they do to you, that's, you know, it's, it's gonna happen. But what happened to Jeremiah just made him matter. He come out and he was, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen, and not just the city, but to you personally. So I thought, what a powerful message that was. Just um, he didn't back down. He gave a message and gave it. He was bold in the face of persecution. Wasn't he bold? Wouldn't you call him bold there? Wouldn't you call him bold? That was bold. That's bold. Stood right up to him. Stood right up to him. The same man who gave him the beating yesterday, who put him in the stocks yesterday, was to stop him from doing it again today. Right? Right? Didn't stop Jeremiah, though, from being bold. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome Overcome me and prevail, and I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. What happened to our boldness? One verse, we're bold, and the very next verse, the very next verse, oh Lord, you've deceived me. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I signed up for. What has happened here? Is and I'm so thankful Jeremiah gives us this picture. He is bold in public. He's bold. Anybody that would get beat up one day and then tell the people to beat him up, your end's coming. You know, that's bold, knowing they hold political power over him and they can take him out and kill him any minute. But this verse 7 to the end of this chapter, um, what's happened is Mo, uh, Moses, Jeremiah has retreated to his prayer closet. He's alone. It's just him and God. Him and God. And he's saying, Lord, verse 8, every time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because of me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. The words I speak, because of everything I, he doesn't, and we've talked about this several weeks now, but we've got 20 chapters worth of God's going to come in. God's going to destroy you. And there's nothing, not going to be anything left. You're going to be taken into captivity. Not much, a whole lot of positive in that. But that's his message God's told him to preach. And he's been faithful to that. But here we come to verse 7 after this incident has happened. And he, um, 
he comes to the point where he says, God, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. Um, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been laughed at, undermined, talked about while you're doing God's work? Have you ever been there? Um, Lord, I did what you asked. Look where it got me. Look where it's got me. I'm the laughing stock of the community. Can you imagine him being in the stocks and being beaten and laying there in the stocks and people walk by pointing at him and laughing at him? Can you imagine? He said, um, Lord, did you hear what they said about me? Lord, did you hear what they said about you? Uh, Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why me? Lord, I've done exactly what you told me to do. I, I have, you know, served the church. I, I go to church every day. What What are you doing? We're doing um, what's happened is he's gotten discouraged. Satan has sat on his shoulder, and he sits on our shoulders. I'm, you know, and you know when you see those cartoons, you got the good angel and the bad angel. I don't think that's too far off. I don't think that's too far off. I think you have God and you have hell and all the principalities thereof. And it's a constant battle. They're trying to get you to go this way. And God's trying to keep you going this way. That's a constant battle. It happens in my head. It happens in my head. Um, What's so funny about this is Jeremiah has been preaching this same message for 18 years at this point. This wasn't like he started yesterday. This is 18 years. 18 years. And he got to this point that says, um, I, uh, I, I, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. Let's keep on reading. Verse 9, But if I say I will not remember him or speak his name anymore, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, for I cannot endure it. For I have heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him, all my trusted friends watching for my fall. Say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. Look at verse 11 and 12 and 13. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed. With an everlasting disgrace, that will not be forgotten. Yet, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, who see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of the evildoers. In his darkest hour, he looks up and he cries out to God. And um, don't think any less of Jeremiah because he does this. He's just saying out loud what was in his head. God's good and God knows. And God knows more than we know. He knows the very hair on our head, how many. He knows. So he can handle this. He can handle your questions. He can handle it. That's why He's God. You know? 
That's why he's God. I went and saw an 85-year-old woman yesterday and loved her. I love her. And she said, you know, I've had a good life. I've had some hard times, but I've had good times. And we got talking and she said, you know, the, the hard times, I can look back now and see the purpose. You know, I can look back now and see the purpose. At the end of Jeremiah's life, you think he could come back to this point and say, that's when a change was made. That's when something happened. Um, He didn't get over it all the way, though. Look at verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A baby has been born to you and made him very happy. Um, So he was still pretty down in the dumps towards the end. However, however, um, notice what he didn't say. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going home. Notice he didn't say that. How Do y'all do that? I'm done. I am done with y'all. Y'all have talked about me for the last time. I'm done. Y'all ever done that? You don't play my way, we'll go home. Y'all ever done that? Y'all ever done that? He never said, I quit. He never said, I quit. Eighteen years worth of, of sermons he's preached. Eighteen years of being talked about. You know, there goes crazy Jeremiah preaching all that crazy nonsense. Eighteen years, and then here he gets you know, beat up and put into the, sh- the shackles or whatever they did, the stocks. And he never quit. Why didn't he quit? How many people look around look around in the congregation? Y'all have been here longer than I have, so you know where people used to sit. And these people are gone. Um, I'm not talking about those who've gone on to meet the Lord. I'm talking about those who just quit church. They've stopped. Somebody made them mad. Somebody said something about them. They just quit. They just quit. Um, they took their toys and they went home. Um, would Jeremiah have had a good reason? As humans, we say, yeah, anybody beats me up. and you know, I, Jeremiah had a pretty good reason. But what did God say? What did God say? Back in Jeremiah chapter 1, He said, Jeremiah 1.19, They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Let me read that again. But they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So he had God's promise. Even though he's in the stocks, even though he gets beat up, even though people laugh at him, he, get, he has God's promise, I'm with you. I'm with you. And notice in his darkest hour, where did he go? Right to his friend who's with him all the time, Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's where we need to go. Instead of picking up the phone to tell somebody about how bad they treated us, just go to God. He's the only one that can make them fix that mess. You know that. Why didn't he quit? Why didn't he quit? And, and 
Let me show you this part. Let me show you this part that God showed me. Look at chapter 21. His last words in, in verse 20 were said, Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on my trouble and my sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? First verse of chapter 21, what does it say? The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah came to him, Pashur the son of Malchijah and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Messiah said, Please inquire the Lord on our behalf for Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, etc., etc., etc. Is that what you thought you would read after reading verse 18? Is that what you thought you were going to read? Is that what you thought you were going to read? I was expecting God to put something in there saying, Jeremiah, hang in there. You're doing a good job. I am your shepherd. I'll lead you by still waters. I'm with you. I won't leave you. Remember? Remember? What does God do in verse 20, chapter 21? According to this, He didn't say anything. God was silent. God was silent. So, what do we do when God's silent? When we're discouraged? When we know we could take our toys and go home? That we know that's not what God wants. What do we do when we're discouraged? We do what Jeremiah did. We just call out to him. He'll answer. He takes care. He has his purpose and he has his reasons. But let me show you. Let me show you why he didn't go home and quit. Let me show you why he didn't go home and quit. Verse 9 of chapter 20. Verse 9 of chapter 20. Read this. If you don't get anything else tonight, read this. Read this. Verse 9, chapter 20. Uh, the last sentence on chapter 8. In reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, verse 9, I will not remember him or speak his anymore, or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding in and I cannot endure it. I can take my toys. I can go home. But I've got to get it out. God has given me a message and I've got to tell you people. If I don't, it becomes like a burning fire in my soul. I won't be able to sleep. I won't be able to rest. It's all because of the burden God gave him for these people. God told Jeremiah, These, this is your field to, to work right now. This is your field to work. And no matter what happens, you keep working it. And God gave him such a burden here. Such a burden for these people. He loves them so much. He loves them so much, He's going to keep telling them the good news. Even though it hurts, even though He gets discouraged, He's going to keep telling it. He's not going to go home. He's not going to quit because God, God, God gave Him that burden. God gave Him that burden. If you can quit a ministry and walk away, Ask yourself, was it God's ministry in the first place? 
Or was it just something I wanted to do? Because if you can walk away, um, the burden that Jeremiah had is you don't have it. You don't have it. I've been doing this 20 years. I've been working in churches, doing church music for 20 years. Um, but the burden on my heart, the burden of people, the burden of worship, the burden of leading people to worship has never waned. There have been times I've come home and said, Mitzi, I'm done. I'm done. These crazy people, I am done. There are so many people who can do this better than me. They can do this better than me. I'm not talking about preaching. Lord knows anybody can do this better than me. But the music part, they can do that better than me. But you know, very few people, I feel, very few people have the burden, have the burden for people like I do. I don't see musicians. I don't see church pew sitters. I don't see, I see people who God is drawing to Himself. I see people who God has a purpose for. I see people who God wants to use in a powerful way. And when they don't get to that level or when they fall by the wayside, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because the burden is real. It's real. If you don't have that burden, you get on your knees tonight and you say, God, give me that burden. If you don't have what He had, you'll never understand this God that we serve. That burden held Him to the cross. That burden held Him to the cross. The difference between Him and I, the difference between Him him and I, is He's God and I'm not. I can't minister to everybody, but I can sure minister to y'all. I can minister to my workplace. I can minister to my home. I can do that. It takes time. Like Max said, everybody's busy. It's about priorities. What's, what, what's your priority? Is it people? Is it God? You know? Um, we'll sit and watch a... Clemson football game for four hours and get restless after 30 minutes in church? You know, it is what it is, right? Um, cover your yawns. It was on at our house too. Um, but I'm just saying, that burden, that burden is real. That burden is real to me. It's real to me. For those children in KFC, to that sweet little lady I saw yesterday up at Morningside. It's real. And you know what she said when I left Kim? I said, you pray for me. She said, I will. And you know, when I walked out the door, I believed her. She's going to be praying for me. and She's going to be praying for y'all. Her purpose isn't done yet. Some of the greatest, most powerful people on earth are homebound church members. Because they get in touch. They sit there all day and think about you. They love you. They sit there and think about you and go, I wonder how they're doing. Let me pray for them right now. Don't underestimate them. Don't underestimate them. What a friend we have in Jesus.
call our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. James is going to come lead us in our invitation. I appreciate him doing that so much. If God's spoken to you, you come do something about it. You come do something about it. He's here. He's ready. He's just waiting on you. All right. What's our number, James? I'm sorry. 182. 182. Standing, please.